Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Yeah, so we're, all we're trying to do, right, is we're just trying to get stories from people in Southeast Asia about how they run their businesses, what they're doing, and, you know, why they're doing it. The real idea is we're very, as if you look at our backgrounds, right, we're very interested in what's going on in the tech ecosystem in Southeast Asia. And we want to approach it really from a different angle, and that is really who are you in the context of what you're building? So how did you really get there? What's the story behind why you wanted to go out and build what you're building? So maybe it's important for you, for me a little bit, just to get a little background on you from your perspective. And, and you may notice, actually, what's interesting to me is that you and I have done some similar things, it looks like. If... Really? I didn't check out your profile. I just added you in LinkedIn, so I'll probably... Yep. Okay. <laughs> so you, so well, let me just put you this way. You've done, you've done Credit Suisse, RBS, yeah. yes. JP yeah. Morgan, and I've done Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, and stuff like that. So Yeah, looks like we, have, we share some, <laughs> some common, common I don't... theme of how, how we end said the startup world looks like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. I don't think we'll end up, I think we'll probably end up at the same place. It's probably just taken me a little bit more time than it's taken you, but fair enough. Cool. Yeah, yeah. let me uh, tell you a bit about more about myself and uh, how, how I ended up doing what I'm doing. So uh, this whole idea of starting rewards was uh, almost four years ago and uh, started with when we thought of opening a company. Before that, prior to that, I had done the work in the corporate world and, and I enjoyed my time there. I, mean, we, we, I was all throughout in Singapore, so after graduating from the university here, I, I, I started working as a programmer and then from there, project manager and program manager, uh, and mostly in the, 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 the banks you mentioned, which is started with Credit Suisse, then moved to RBS, and my last job was with uh, JP Morgan before. I don't want to interrupt you, but there's a little bit. It looks like your microphone might be rubbing up against your shirt a little bit or something. There's just some, just some background okay. noise. Is it better? Anything? A little bit. There's background noise. Maybe I try without the microphone. Hopefully it will be better. How about now? Is it better now? It's a little bit better. You're a little bit further away. But, um, but yeah, there's there uh, was a scratching. Oh, yeah, maybe I was just to lower the volume. How about now? Is it much, much better? Much better. Much better. Yeah, there was some scratching noise before. So, okay, great. So, yeah, I was just uh, as I was telling you that uh, so after working in the banks for over ten years, that was the same time I, I met my wife also in Credit Suisse, and uh, we were working together. And and they were, and she she comes from the whole human uh, resource uh, HR department, and got it. She she was. Uh, doing a lot of the initiatives which now we have provided solutions for. So she was doing some of these wellness challenges, organizing bazaars and arranging perks for his, uh, for the, for the internally she was going as a volunteer and, and doing it for the company. That was not her core job. Uh, her core job was in the compensation and benefits and uh, she was doing all these things to engage employees at work as a added uh, voluntary thing. And she loved doing it, but when she'll come back home, she'll talk to me about all the things she had to do around it to show to the management the effectiveness of those programs and and uh, how uh, all the extra work, admin work she needs to do and the budget approval. And So she was finding it quite, uh, even though she loved the output, but the whole management of it was very tiring. So she used to tell me about this, and that's where the idea originated, that we thought, okay, me as a... Beautiful husband, I'll thought of some solutions like which can, which can solve her day-to-day -day problems, and uh, that's where pretty much it started as a hobby. That uh, we started building, I started building some tools, which she started using it just for herself, 
at uh, at her workplace. And then when we saw the effectiveness of it that it's working, so okay, let's set up a company. So she quit her job, and then I soon followed after. So this was just really built out of the fact that there was some frustration around maybe the extra stuff that she was doing when she was working in human resources. And she just really noticed the difference when she went out and actually measured this stuff and can go back to her bosses and say, the, all these things that we're doing on the side, all these sort of metrics and tools that we're building actually show the efficacy of all the things that we've implemented here. And when she went to her, is, is she still working there now or she's just full-time? No, 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 so she quit. So I think after doing a bit of minor pilot internally, we saw the opportunity with the whole idea that and how the market doesn't have something like this. All the organizations from SMEs to large organizations are, uh, want their employees to be engaged, healthy, and there are not enough uh, companies who are providing with their products and services which can help them with it. So... When we saw that opportunity, she quit her job first, and then we had another co-founder, Jaya, who also quit her job, uh, who was also in the banking world, and all three of us started uh, rewards, and both Jaya and Nicole uh, were more uh, acquiring clients and getting, uh, because our business is based on a lot of partnerships, we get these uh, merchants who offer their products and services at a discount or sell their services as perks uh, or rewards for our customers. So they were they were focused on getting the clients and the merchant side, and I was helping them build the technology product. Um, so you're you're and you're a technologist um, by training, yeah. right? Correct. So yeah, I did my engineering, and yeah, I was a technologist, groomed as a first programmer, then a project manager, IT project manager, then program manager. So so my role in the company uh, from the beginning has been to mold the product, uh, mold the product which the which which uh, the industry needs, uh, uh, which our clients need. And then extending it as we grew to look at some of the big partnerships, uh, which are reseller partnerships, which can get us uh, lots of clients, uh, find a right fit for a reseller of our product, and also all the funding and financing which is needed for to run the company. But what, what drives you? Let's back up a little bit, right, Sudanshu. I mean, what, what drives you into technology? What was the draw for you to say, I want to go and be a technologist? Was it more a... Was it more a a career thing, or have you always been interested in, in, in tech just as a thing? I think for me, building a product itself using tech is quite a satisfying feeling. That's what, when I, I was in a bank, I was enjoying it. When initially, when we started and we were working on some very exciting uh, projects uh, which require end to end change of trading platforms, that was the most exciting phase of my banking career when I was building that. Uh, so that inherently is something which we enjoy, which I enjoy. And uh, I think as you go up the ladder in the corporate world, you tend to do less of building and more of uh, managing, uh, reporting, and management, which probably you are aware of. So, so that's where my interest waned from the corporate world, and I wanted to always build things uh, which I can see, uh, which I can roll out to clients, see, get their feedback, improve it, enhance it, make a make a difference in that way. So. That, that, and that's what we have been doing since day one at, in, in rewards. Uh, I've been loving doing every day. So talk to me about uh, the impact of living in Singapore and building this in Singapore. I presume your wife is a Singaporean native yes, as well? Yeah. yeah and and your partner too. Do, do you think there's a difference in building this in Singapore rather than building this product in the United States, let's say, or you know, or building it in Jakarta? Like, what's the, What do you feel like growing up, being in Singapore, and all the 
sort of embedded projects that are in Singapore, whether it's the NRF or all any yeah, of the other so things I'm, that make Singapore a startup city, sort of influence your desire or your ability to do this? Oh, in fact, uh, indeed, definitely. So, I mean, I, I have been, with rewards, we have rolled it out to other markets uh, in Southeast Asia and as well as Dubai, which is doing very well for us. These markets, we have a very good uh, understanding of how to launch a business, roll out a product, what, what sort of things we have to do. So, I mean, the markets where we, we have a, where I can compare and give you some feedback compared to it's, Singapore is like Indonesia, Malaysia, Dubai, uh, Hong Kong. These are the markets where we currently are doing business. So uh, coming doing it in Singapore, I think from even in the last five years, I think Singapore has been much ahead of rest of the Southeast Asia in terms of uh, having the ecosystem. So there were for me to also make that jump from, which was a big jump for me personally, from the corporate world into running a business on my own, uh, was to see some of the successes around in the local market. So by 2013, there were already, uh, there was a, healthy ecosystem. There were, there were my age startup co-founders who had started their businesses. Uh, some of them had exits. Some of them were really scaling it up very well. So there were examples around, which was not the case, uh, which is still not the case probably uh, as well in some of the other Southeast Asian countries. I think they are reaching up and they are catching up very fast. But for us at that time, Singapore was definitely had a Good ecosystem for betting a startup. Uh, the seed funding was uh, was uh, there were a lot of avenues to get seed funding. Grants government really supports it through that the initial seed stage and the Series A stage. So that side is is great. I think uh, you get to meet people who have circumvented such challenges. So you go to a startup uh, network and and you talk to a founder who has gone through that early stage challenges and that sort of mentoring and support also you get in Singapore. So I think that way is, uh, Singapore has been a good starting ground for us. Uh, as we scaled up, we realized very fast that uh, I think for us to become to to scale our product and uh, and to grow it to to hundred or millions of users, we have to 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 uh, go to other markets as well. And for that as well, Singapore provides all of the support in terms of grants, in terms of mentorship in those markets. So all in all great decision, good decision for us to start in uh, Singapore, for us to get access to Southeast Asia. Uh, unfortunately, I've not, not worked that much in uh, Silicon Valley or the U.S., so I, I cannot compare much. I mean, from what I hear, it's, uh, it's uh, probably much better in terms of support as well as funding. So give me an example of how building the business in Dubai. So I spent a ton of time in Dubai on, in 2012 and 2013. So tell me how it's different there than it is in Singapore. Because Dubai as well is sort of building its reputation on, you know, building itself as the financial center of the Middle East or at least of the UAE, the GCC. So and, and actually, if you look at the founders of sort of the financial center there, they've actually come to Singapore for their own mentorship. So I'm curious mm -hmm. how you found that to be different. No, you how, how you found your partners there? Yeah, so, and in fact, we, we have our, uh, Najia, who's one of our co-founders, she went there and she set it business from scratch, day one, single uh, co-founder going around, meeting partners, showcasing our product, and uh, we supporting her from here with all the technology and uh, uh, marketing support uh, which she needs. But yeah, she almost did it single-handedly in Dubai. Wow. And these days we are talking of, so now we have an established team. We have a team of uh, four people, local people who are doing sales and, and account uh, management along with her. 
uh, and we are we are selling to uh, Dubai Prime Minister office. Dubai Prime Minister office is launching with us uh, next month, and uh, we have a uh, Singapore Dubai government using us for a whole island wide for a steps challenge. So yeah, in two years time, things have shaped up pretty well for us. Uh, what we saw in Dubai was that. Uh, it's slightly behind in the technology curve uh, from Singapore. It is actually. products uh, came across as quite uh, new and innovative, whereas in Singapore we do have competitors. So people have seen our kind of products. If they try to um, take our service or products, they will explore the market a bit more and see who, uh, what else is there. Whereas in Dubai, we were kind of we had a greenfield market. There was nobody else who was doing what we were doing, uh, and. Uh, it's still for Jaya, being a female co-founder, uh, she, she had to try a bit hard and uh, to, to, to make inroads there. Uh, there was not so many, like here you find a lot of female founder networks and mentorship. Right. That, that right. sort of support, startup ecosystem was not there for her to tap on and to get some introductions. But she, does, she did amazingly well. Uh, I think one of the good things she did in, uh, initially, she found a partner. Uh, who was quite well entrenched, who was in the wellness space, who was not from the tech background, but uh, so we complemented each other very well. But she, yeah, that, that partner had a lot of uh, corporate networks in uh, Dubai for the last ten years in Dubai, and, and knew a lot of uh, had good network, and and we decided to work very closely together. We followed on the strategic partnership, and then that us a lot. So do you want to do you want to talk as well? Like you talked about partners as well, right? Do you know the Guava Pass team? It yes. just seems to fit into the wellness stuff that you're doing yes. maybe as a partner. I'm just curious if you've worked with them at all. We do, we do. So Guava Pass, uh, both in Singapore and in Dubai, we, yep, that's we work I with them. Yeah, so they, they, yeah, so they come on board as a, a pro- provider which helps us uh, get uh, fitness classes. Either our corporates can buy fitness classes from them or, or get them at discounted prices for their employees. So they are one of our fitness class provider on our platform. That's really interesting. Do you want to talk about the challenge or at least the, the interesting points around raising money? It seems that you sort of bootstrapped this for a few years first and then went out and raised a decent amount of capital. I'd love to understand how that process worked as well. Yeah, so we, we started it really from our own money. Whatever me, uh, Jia, and Nicole, we had saved over the years, uh, we all put it in uh, initially. So. We started with roughly around 75k uh, between three founders. We put it, and we'll see. We'll, we'll give it a fair shot uh, for the next one year uh, and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, as uh, I think after one year, we were in a pretty much quite a bad shape. Uh, our initial, <laughs> initial what does that mean? Of the, most of the money has gone, and and whatever initially we thought how we wanted to sell the uh, business had uh, all those uh, ideas had gone wrong. Uh, we. But what does that mean? What is that? What is that feeling like? I mean, that's the most interesting part to me about this this journey is, you try really hard. You have all these ideas, even if the pilot's working. You know, you start to run out of money. There's some stress involved there. There's some not conflict yeah. necessarily, but like, tell me more about that. That that I think is what's really interesting to people. Yeah. So I think uh, I mean, sometimes you just want to hide in the in the uh, in the blanket and just oh, what to how to. <laughs> How to come out of this mess now? <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, we, we we there was there was there was always that opportunity also to turn around, and I think that that was quite motivating. I think when we were at a really lowest point where money was almost running out, one of the first employees who joined us he he left uh, 
and uh, it was just left to us three. And Jaya had to move to Dubai at the same time because her husband got transferred. So she had to move to Dubai. She said, I really have to. Uh, this is after one year when we had we grew something, but we ran out of money. And, uh, and Jaya also had to move out. So it was just me and Nicole in Singapore. And uh, Jaya said, OK, I'll start the business once I reach there and settled in. And uh, that was probably the lowest point. We thought of maybe now we shut it down. We even got an offer at that stage from a company who had been well-funded in our own space. I cannot name the company, but okay. they, they gave us offer of around, like, we have put in 75K and they like, you take around 100K and we will take all your merchant network. Yikes. And, it's so and, tempting. Don't you think? It's weird, right? It's so tempting to just kind of bag out when you're at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, and then and we, yet, we, we somehow I think it was Nicole and both of us didn't feel right about it. I said we good. haven't, uh, we will regret this decision, and we wanted Forever. to avoid that regret. So we didn't go for that offer, and uh, good for you. from there somehow things started turning up, back up. Uh, we we got few clients, uh, which helped. We got a lot of support from the Singapore government at that tough stage. We got one of our grants approved, which got us 150k. In the how, does that, how does that work? What we'll just walk people through that? So the reason why I'm interested in this, right? I mean, I'm interested in so, at so many different levels, but as a person who's trained as a trader, right? The worst thing you want to do is get out of your position at the bottom. Yeah. Right. Cause your position, we talk about this from a trading perspective, your position is actually more important than the price, but what you don't want to do is get out of a position that you really like, even if it's as long as it's sort of kind of above your stop out level. And it seems like it was. So, yeah. When you're sitting around strategizing about like, okay, we're going to run out of money, but no individual day is fatal, right? It always feels like it is when you're in the middle of it. But if that day is not fatal, how do we get out of this? So you said you went to the government, which does provide a lot of really interesting support products, and they really are products, right? So how did that process work? So we were pitching for it in parallel. I mean, the one thing is government just takes time. So we were pitching for it over three months. There's a grant here, which is like early stage grant that if you are in a technology space and you're doing something innovative. So who uh, makes the, who makes the grant inside the Singaporean government? What is that? What is that process like? You have to apply. So you apply. Yeah, you go. You you submit to them a grant form you apply through us. So in our case, there was an incubator who was, which is because I come from NUS, uh, NUS uh, Enterprise has uh, NUS is a university here, and they have a, they have a group called, uh, which helps startups through this early stage. So they were yes. our incubator, and they helped us through this uh, grant process. They introduced this grant to us that uh, you can uh, try for it, you are eligible, and then they represented us there. And that process took around three, four, five months. Wow. Uh, yeah, it takes a little bit long, goes through multiple rounds of committees and approvals, but it just came at the right time. So when we were just at this lowest point, when we almost had run off and we were thinking how to sustain the uh, startup, we got this uh, MDA grant. Uh, and they have discontinued it. It is in di- different forms now. This was three years ago. So And uh, and we, we got it. So that gave us support. Okay, at least some money is coming in. We can try to, again, try to see what... Uh, how we need to change uh, to make it successful from here. I think one of the key decisions we made at the same time after we had some of this money coming in is change our strategy. What we were doing for the first one year, we were pitching only to SMEs. We thought our products work there in SMEs. Large organizations already have our kind of uh, products. But we made that pivotal shift so that we realized in one year, the only clients which we have got is actually a medium and large scale organization, SMEs are not buying into it. If they are buying into it, they're not paying. 
and uh, it's not getting used. So we really started targeting just medium and large sized organization. And just that simple sales strategy trick with the same product started working for us. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? I mean, the, you look around the market and you think, okay, there are, let's just pick a number, 100,000 SMEs and maybe only 10,000 large corporations. And yet the corps are actually willing to pay for it. Maybe because the same reason that you and your wife actually left your jobs to do it is that they understand internally that they don't have the proper products to serve. And even exactly. if they do, they can't measure it properly. Because isn't that one of the keys yeah. to your success is that you can try and implement a lot of programs inside of, you know, pick a company, Deutsche Bank. And yet at the end of the day, you don't know if it's working or not because you have no proper way of measuring it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where exactly if it in for large organizations, our products provide that uh, return on investment along with helping them with all the uh, management administration of it. So do you want to just run through what that sales process is like as well for a typical company? And then I want to talk more a little about the products and how those develop but also how they iterate as well, because I think that's part of the story that's really interesting to people is, you know, you develop a product in your mind, you build it, and then you go to somebody to sell it to them, and they say, sure, that's great, but if it just had this other thing, whatever that other thing is, it may be a much more interesting product. So you just run me through that as well. Yeah, so our, our, our typical, we, we are B2B companies, so our typical yep. sales uh, uh, usually take from anywhere from two months to sometimes six months for, for, for big clients. Uh, we, uh, the leads comes from different ways we market ourselves in social media to the relevant uh, uh, players. So our typical clients will be of either HR, comp, and ban, as well as in some cases marketing and communication teams because they can use our product as a communication tool and marketing tool. Uh, so we, we work with these, uh, these are the key kind of uh, our uh, our clients in, in the organization and we try to reach out to them through social media or directly through uh, some referrals or emails or through our resellers uh, one of the biggest sales strategy which we use we use a lot of resellers so a lot of the insurance companies wellness companies uh, they tend to be our resellers we they, they introduce their corporate clients to us who, who who are looking for this product so we don't have to make a cold call introduction to ourselves ourselves interesting that that helps. That has been a biggest uh, jump for us when we were from the days initially when Nicole was going door to door and I was door to door. door to door. Yeah, we were. We were. We, that was initially was pretty much door to door. We will get a contact and either we call and we'll say okay, we'll meet for a coffee and, and we'll try to tell them about our product. And that was hard work and it took long time to get those first twenty clients. But uh, in the last two years, we are working a lot through resellers, which getting that. Uh, like right now here, Health Promotion Board, we are one of the partners of Health Promotion Board, which launches our product to all the SMEs. So that in the last two months and Singapore has given us around 100 SMEs being onboarded to our products. And same, we work with uh, companies like Mercer as an insurance broker. They have been a partner for our wellness product for uh, uh, for two years now. So similar players who, who are in that space but selling uh, a different product, like whether it's an insurance product or selling a wellness stock, uh, we try to cross-sell through them by, by leveraging each other's network. Uh, and that, that, that has been a great help for us. So, yeah, so it is typically the sales process goes, uh, we meet the clients through whether through some of these networks, we sell a network or through it, introduce the product to them. They will get the internal approval, and that's where sometimes things get delayed. In a big organization, internal approval may take from six months, uh, getting all the things approved and, and, and ready to launch. 
And yeah, and then we will roll out our, our, our products uh, uh, to the clients. And usually it's a one year contract with each client, but a lot of them gets embedded in and it keeps rolling in. So our clients, uh, most of it every year, we, we don't see much drop off rate. Once you become a client, there's usually a contract may last from three to four years. I was going to ask you, what's the stickiness like? So your client retention seems to be really good. It does seem to me that once it gets embedded into a client's sort of systemic processes, that it's going to be really hard for one of two things to happen. One, a new competitor to come along and disengage you, or two, just the client to say, we don't need this anymore because we've built it ourselves. It just seems really unlikely, no? Exactly. That's not so. No, no. <clears throat> once you provide that, uh, the... the, the, the the, the employees expect uh, to continue using it. So most of the times they won't plug it off. They may try to negotiate the price or once or but yeah. So it's interesting. You have used sort of the government support there, which is interesting, right, from our context. If you listen to Graham and I when we do the Asia Tech podcast, we've started talking about what makes a great startup city. And the reality is that now that we've talked about it a little bit, we're going to go around. So we'll probably show up in Singapore at the end of September or maybe the beginning of October to find out more in, more in detail. And to be fair, you, both of us have traveled the region in these cities, but now we really want to go deep and find out what makes a great startup city. And what you're telling me, it seems like, is that actually being in Singapore, just the support that the ecosystem itself offers has actually been really important to your growth. Can I ask this, though? So outside of the government itself, right, there's, you know, there's the E27, there's the Tech in Asia team. What they've done really well is kind of raise the profile of startups, yeah. you know, not just in Singapore, but regionally. But what that means is, you know, there, there are so many startup founders there, whether it's the Redmark yeah. team or the, the Luxola team or any of these people that have become in Carousel, all these yeah. people that have become really famous through JDFI or just any of the other support systems there. Have you become part of that group of people that not only will get mentoring from them, but have started mentoring other people too. Like, what's your participation in the ecosystem as a whole? So I tend to participate a lot more in my uh, 10 to a year. So yeah, Carousel and us, we don't have really much uh, in common. In common. So, right. Yeah, so we, we, I tend to go more in the insurtech uh, kind of uh, events uh, because we uh, rewards products align for you as insurance companies. So I went with recently, I think, uh, next month itself. So every quarter at least I try to attend some of these uh, either there's a conference where we get a chance to meet other founders what's going on in the insurtech and the fintech space uh, which is more closer to, to rewards to what and, you're doing. and our partners so, along with meeting uh, startup founders I, I love meeting the industry players because to me for our B2B business having uh, even in an informal setting met a uh, uh, a CEO or a CTO or a, or a business head of uh, HR in, in, in any of these events uh, gives us a lot of insights, not just from the selling, just knowing what their pain points are and how we should be shaping our product. So so I really look forward to meeting uh, some of the industry players uh, of uh, who could be sometimes uh, potentially our clients or partners, along with the startup founders. I think that for, for me, those events help us seeing that uh, we are now probably three years, four years. We are a bit of a mature startup going into kind of. the SME stage, uh, whereas uh, we have to look beyond what's happening now, like what people are measuring stress now. They are using voice to measure stress. So when I go to these events, I kind of <laughs> get that uh, hint on what's happening, going to happen in 2019 and 2018 from the people who are starting up now. So that that's that itself also is quite exciting for me to personally see what's what uh, today startups are starting to build. Yeah, it's so really we interesting. Stay ahead of times ourselves. 
It is, right? So if you think of yourself as an insure tech or as a fintech company, right, because you are providing a benefit which is has, does have monetary value. You're providing it in an electronic way. And you're also, I presume you're also collecting a decent amount of data. And if you can use that data then to apply, you know, I don't want to start getting into buzzwords, but if you apply some artificial intelligence around it, you can yes. probably come up with better products and better serve your clients in reverse. And it becomes what I like to call a virtuous circle. Like it sounds like you've built a really incredible product. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, um, the funding? So you have received a decent amount of funding after almost being on the brink. No, it's okay. I just want to remind, right? But after almost being on the brink, right, you've now come back and raised a real decent amount of money. And I think that the, you know, as the CEO, it almost seems to me with the CEOs that I talk to often, it seems like capital raising is like a full-time job. It is. It is. So, I mean, I, I, I personally, that part of the job, I didn't enjoy it, but we didn't have anybody else. I had to, uh, it was something which I had to do it. I mean, I enjoy product building and uh, cracking these partnerships and thinking of the strategy. Uh, doing uh, raising money is, is is a full-time job and it distracts you from actually building a business it does so so we uh, but yeah we had to do it and we were apart apart after doing the raising that initial grant money I did get managed to raise uh, some around 500k half a million from um, uh, seed angel investment so uh, I was through some of these startup ecosystem I was referred by one of my friend to uh, to angel investor who had invested in his early days in his startup and, and in who, Singapore, well, in Singapore, yeah. So uh, his name was Deepak Deepak Gurnani. He has invested in some quite a few startups in Singapore. So he had a whole group of friends who were investing. So they took two rounds. In two rounds, they invested in us uh, first two hundred k and then another three hundred k as angel investment. So that sustained us uh, for the next couple of years. So. And at that stage, uh, Benefit One, which is a very big player in the same space where we operate in Japan, they are a public listed company, started 20 years ago, been um, uh, almost uh, more than a billion market cap, uh, yep. used by over 8 million users in Japan. It's uh, like a de facto. If uh, once a company is of more than 50, they will look for in Japan the benefits, the area where we operate are almost as synonymous as payroll in Singapore. In Singapore, if you are a company and as soon as you become slightly big, more than 50, you'll try to get a payroll software. In, uh, in Japan, they try to first get benefits software. So benefits has been, is, is, and, and they, they, these, Benefit One is one of the big players. It's, there are other players who are almost equally sized in Japan. So they somehow, they were trying to do the same business uh, in Singapore. Uh, and uh, other markets, Singapore, Indonesia, Thailand. And it hasn't been so successful for the last two years, since the same time when rewards started in the same business. So they had been following us for a while, and uh, they approached us. That, uh, they reached out to you. Yeah, they reached out to us to ask whether they would be, we would be interested in the investment. So, uh, so that was initially the discussion was slightly easier because they had a strong interest in to invest. So we didn't have to prove ourselves. Or right, they, they knew the product, they knew the business. They knew the product, they knew the industry, they knew all that. So uh, they were trying to figure out why it's not working for them in Singapore and why is it working for us. And and uh, then and that's where it took a bit longer than what I thought because sure. I think the due diligence was very, very long and we spent a lot of time. One year, almost uh, six to eight months got wasted, especially my time was yeah. spent in doing a lot of the due diligence with them. Uh, but then it went through, and uh, we are quite lucky. So far, it's been six months with their investment of around three, uh, 2.1 million U.S. Uh, in the company. Uh, and our share 
we have a very clear share table now, our equity structure, because uh, they bought out most of the angel investors. They did. So you, tr- so you actually didn't didn't get diluted as much as you might have, and they bought out the angel investors. Yeah, that's, that's right now we have only one institutional investor and them, so they bought out the Singapore government's light stake, everybody else. So they are just us and them in the company now. So which we have, I just have to manage one investor. And as and when we need to go out for money, I will be asking them, which they have been supportive. So if we are growing, they are quite supportive. It's, yeah, it's interesting from an investment standpoint, right, which is something that I focus on a lot. You now have a very clean cap table. Yeah. And having a clean cap table that's uncomplicated makes it easier to raise your next round if you have to. I mean, it sounds to me like with all the clients you have and all the um, domains in which you operate, maybe raising a next round wouldn't necessarily be necessary. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, for so the short term, if you need any short term, so I mean, any business may have cash flow crunch. You are doing to do a big project, half a million project, you may need a cash flow. So that's where yep. the current investor will support us. We don't right. need to worry about that. Uh, yeah, otherwise, so, and will, will you expand your business into Japan as well? Will they help? Because it's a gigantic market for that type of product, or do they already do that there? So we have talked about it as the phase two. Right now, we are trying to. Uh, work on their Asian entities, the ones which uh, so, uh, we, they have an entity in Thailand and Indonesia, and right. we are trying to integrate those entities into rewards first. Uh, That's hard work. Yeah, exactly. So with that team joining us as well as we using our technology in those markets, uh, that's starting this year. Uh, and once that is successfully integrated in Japan, we may use our technology in their products, the ones which uh, they don't have. All oh, right, so you just integrated that on a tech side. Yeah. Do you want to talk about, so you, you run really three three internal businesses, right? I mean, it's one overall business, but the Sarah points, you have Flabulous, which is the way you kind of enco- encourage people to sort of stay fit, yeah. and then the Parks business. That Which one is the biggest, and how do you see this stuff growing as you go so forward? I think, yeah, we, are kind of, we have narrowed it down to these two products only, Flabulous and Sarah. We started with our first uh, product, Impulse, which was a very simple uh, discount app. But like That's what the, our first rollout was, that you companies sign up with their uh, sign up with us and their companies uh, their employees get host of discounts uh, all over Singapore. Right. Now that product we have incorporated in <clears throat> in both our new products, so we are slowly not going to roll out uh, just uh, Mpooks. So we have Flavilus, where the idea is to encourage use rewards, incentivize employees to be healthy through rewards. So we do all the wellness technology tracking. We track your fiscal steps and uh, connect to all the variables and we have a wellness challenge around it. I mean, one of the latest things which we are quite excited about is that, and we are probably the first one in uh, globally to do it, is uh, we have this very automated uh, weight management technology where you can just scan a digital weighing machine and we get your weight from it without doing anything. So that whole... <clears throat> Uh, uh, that whole challenge we'll be rolling out now this year. So this Fabulous is purely wellness-focused gamification around in a company around wellness, and yep. people get incentivized through discounts. Like if you do, if you go above the certain milestone, you get uh, 15%. You get above a milestone, you get one for one. So better discounts as you track more points. Uh, companies can also use it uh, after every three months, organize a mini challenge and give prizes for it. Uh, so we did it at Disney last year and doing it here. They run three months APAC-wide challenge for all Disney staff. And uh, people get super excited about it. They try to compete with their peers, teams. And it's, it's a 
it's it's a time. I mean, it, it's something which takes the stress away for the for the employees. They are not. Uh, it's something to look forward to beyond the day-to-day work uh, to see what's happening on the challenge, who's winning it, uh, and making sure they go that extra step over the weekend to go for a gym session or or a run. Uh, so that all that's that's what the companies value. Some of the times when even after the companies have done the challenge, they have left it. We have received feedback saying that people continue that li- that habits because those habits have been formed during the uh, period. They have formed that bonding with the team that they tend to tend to continue going for those runs. So. That's our fabulous product, very wellness focused, and we'll continue to innovate in the wellness space uh, uh, all the way. So uh, we'll keep seeing that's a very happening area from the technology perspective. And uh, we will every year we plan to roll out uh, upgrades and updates, uh, which makes keeps it interesting and relevant for our clients who have taken fabulous. The Sarah Points is a slightly it's a more well-rounded uh, and very plug-and-play rewards and recognition system where. When we were pitching Flabless, once in a while, we started getting uh, feedback from our, some of our key clients, which we wanted to onboard, that uh, wellness we value, but wellness is just one pillar, one element of our rewarding strategy for clients, right. uh, for our employees. We want to reward them for what they do at work. Uh, if they are being innovative, we want to reward them. If they are bringing sales, we want to reward them. If we have certain values, which we, which we, which we want to inculcate in our uh, staff, we want to reward them for that as well. So that's where we build this, and every company has different values, different ways of rewarding. Then how do we roll out one platform which can address it? And that's where Sarah fits into. It's a very flexible way of rewarding your employees in whichever way you want. So you can configure the platform according to your needs and then use it to reward your employees. So here companies just buy these uh, reward points from us. And then they they can and they reward it in, in their flexible way, aligned to their own values. And those points, once the employees get it, they will redeem it for products, vouchers, e-vouchers, real tangible stuff. And all the whichever market we operate, these products are very localized things which people are using in those markets. So they're real incentives for real people to get to get a benefit for the things that they're actually doing and accomplishing. It sounds like, and we've done so many conversations recently. Um, with people that are building gamification. It sounds like you're doing a lot of that into your business. Do you use your own gamification strategies? Do you outsource your gamification to companies that provide that as a service? What's the strategy there? So now we are beginning to actually, we are at this, so so far we have been doing it all in-house, mostly figuring out within the team uh, and as well as talking to our clients, uh, like trying it out and improving it. Get a first client. We have now we have a decent client base, so we try it out. Our first wellness, we tried it in one of the hospitals. Saw how the how the companies used it, how what the feedback was from the staff and from the employees, and then tweaking it and improving it every every iteration for right. other clients. So it gets better and better uh, on on what the mistakes we do. Like the way we do our leaderboard is different uh, from what it was done uh, two years back first time uh, because of the feedback we received after first few implementations. So so far we have been doing it in house, but I do realize it. It's 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 a specialty. Like it's a real it's a specialty, specialty, and it's a science which uh, which we can leverage some expertise help from. So these days, actually, I am talking to a few gamification companies because yes. I've also realized that uh, as with you after my talking, you realize very fast that we are kind of there's a huge element of gamification for our products to work. Right. So we, we are talking to some experts to help give us uh, feedback on how we can tweak or change our products to. To, to get maximum uh, participation and engagement. Sounds great. Look, I feel like 
I've taken up a lot of your time this morning, and I have so many notes on other things that I wanted to talk about. But I, if if I do now, I think we could just go on forever. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate your time. I just want to before we get off, I just want to you know, I, I want to find out if you'll come back on to kind of follow up on the stuff that we've already talked about on the show. I really, it, to me, it's been really interesting, and you have a really interesting perspective on founding the company and a very different story. It seems to me. Um, than most other founders, right? Like you found, you were working in something, you found that problem internally, both you and your wife, started building it, used the tools for her as kind of an ancillary way to make her job better internally, and then said, wait a second, this is working. Let's go out and do this on our own. You had a, in the one sense though, you had a very similar experience to a lot of founders where you build it, it seems to be working, and then you say, uh-oh, <laughs> What are we going to do now? <laughs> we've taken the plunge. We've walked away. We've gotten off that speeding train. It's hard to get back on it. Now what do we do? And you've actually found a way to solve it, which I find to be really inspiring. And I think people that listen to this conversation will find it as well. But you also seem to have this really, what's the right word, like relaxed demeanor where you just kind of get stuff done. And that to me is really, really interesting. Anyway, I think there's a lot more to talk about. And hopefully you'll come back and talk to us more. I'd love to be able to follow the progress of... You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.